Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a mastermind facilitator, a best-selling author, and a speaker. I love taking these nonprofit leadership topics on the road or into your Zoom room. If you are thinking about your 2023 calendar and need someone in a conference setting or maybe a workshop, check out my new speaking page at patentmcdowell.com for more information. Well, I had another uh, fantastic conversation this episode, and particularly timely, with Kathy Rogers, who brings wonderful experience in the nonprofit sector as the executive director of Mental Health America of Central Carolinas. As the title of her organization suggests, she is the perfect person to discuss the impact personally of mental health on all of our lives, and in particular, how it translates to the work as a nonprofit leader. Kathy provides thoughtful and practical advice on topics like building a culture at your nonprofit organization, one that recognizes the unique needs that your team has, many of which you may simply not be aware. Kathy also has tactical advice about many leadership topics that I know are on your mind right now as well, such as fundraising, technology, and building better community relations for your nonprofit organization. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 189. Just go to the podcast page at patentmcdowell.com and you'll find out all about the topics Kathy and I discuss. And, of course, more information on her and the great work she's doing through MHA, as well as the wonderful resources that organization provides. And I would encourage you to check it out. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kathy Rogers. Kathy, thank you for joining me on the path. Oh, it's great to be with you, Pat, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Kathy, you've had a wonderful leadership journey uh, at a variety of nonprofit organizations and love the advice that I know you're going to share in that uh, respect. But I'm also eager to dive into the work you do around mental health sure. as executive director of Mental Health America of Central Carolina's you are doing important work, and I know nonprofit leaders, frankly, all of us need to explore that even more. But before we get into some of the mental health work you do, one thing you've been particularly good at, I think, is building community relationships, as the title of this episode suggests. Um, let me start with that. Uh, what has been the most important community partnership that you've created since moving into the role you're in now? You know, that, that's such a, I had to really have to think about that, but I think one of the most important ones for MHA is um, with Mecklenburg County, kind of strengthening a relationship that we already had, um, but we have a, a stronger relationship, which has uh, helped us create new connections out in the community and also access new resources and build our capacity so in just thinking about one partnership that I think in my five years since I've been at MHA, our relationship with the county would have to be one that I would look to as, as extremely valuable to us. 
It's such an unfair question, wasn't it, Kathy? <laughs> As someone <laughs> who's so cultivating far. multiple partnerships, that's right. And I ask you to narrow to one. But let me stay with that for a minute because you've been very successful there. Many of our nonprofit friends, of course, want to better associate with the governmental agencies mm -hmm. and municipalities in which they work. Has there been anything key to you developing a good relationship with the county, the city, or other entities that you work with? I think really being very intentional about staying connected uh, to leaders in the county, um, introducing other members of my team to members of, of the government, uh, particularly around behavioral health. Mecklenburg County has really uh, invested a lot in this area and also recognizes that there's so much more that we need to be doing. We're just one of many partners uh, working in this space. Um, so it, it's really both MHA uh, making ourselves available, making sure they don't forget we're here and what we're doing, but also uh, the county as well, seeing the importance of this work. I guess on a tactical level, right? You So you're identifying the elected officials, the county commissioners, but in particular, the subject matter uh, experts at the governmental level. Again, exactly. I'm thinking of, you know, if I'm a listener in any of a non, any nonprofit sector, what you're doing, I think, is important. Is it literally something you kind of look at the calendar and say, all right, we need to get to each county commissioner or each person in the mental health space? And I like the fact that you said you're also getting members of your team involved, but how it, literally do you do it's, that? It's more of an ongoing um, connection, yeah. more with those who are involved at the at the county level in this work. Okay. Um, so we have a contract with the county uh, for some of our programs, but we also uh, realized when the county was building their new community resource centers that the best way for us to be near to those who are needing help was to be present in those centers. So we're, right. we have a family partner who is present two days a week at the uh, CRC on Freedom at the Valerie Woodard Center. Right. We're actually building a new one uh, in the university area. We would love to have a bilingual uh, family partner uh, on board and working in that center. So really aligning ourselves along with where the county is going. They really do want to be in areas of our community where people can get one-stop shop services. So having our family partner there a couple of days a week eliminates people having to go somewhere else to find those services. While they're there getting other services through the county, they can also get support from our parent boys family partner team. And that's a program that helps parents and caregivers who are raising children that may have a mental health diagnosis or emotional or behavioral issues. Um, so that's one way that we've strengthened our partnership with the county. Um, we also realize that the county has another a revenue stream through their community service grants. And so we decided a couple of years ago that we were going to apply for that. And we were successful in getting funding for other programs that we provide to the community. And just recently, our uh, success in getting American Rescue Plan funds uh, was another uh, way to um, 
partner with the county in increasing capacity around uh, mental health services. Yeah, love that. And again, uh, several takeaways, but I think, again, as a nonprofit leader, one, you, you studied the community planning that goes on here. So you've been smart about thinking about literally the geography, you know, where services are needed so you could be responsive, mm-hmm. anticipating uh, your your right. county officials would want help there. And you've also paid attention, of course, to the finance, the budget, and oh, understanding, yes. right, where the money is going to come from so that you could position yourself effectively. Correct. And, um, and, and Mecklenburg County is just one of many partnerships um, that we that we've aligned ourselves with. One part of our strategic plan is actually being very intentional about aligning our programs and services uh, in neighborhoods. And, you know, coming to Charlotte, it was a bigger community than where I was coming from. But also, I know that it doesn't matter how big you are. Every community is made up of multiple neighborhoods that all have a unique personality and capacity. Uh, so we've tried to align ourselves with neighborhood work, including uh, Greer Heights, uh, the U City Family Zone, and and then through the uh, Valerie Woodard Center, even the Freedom Corridor there. So. Um, if I were to say the number one skill that any nonprofit leader should have or should have their eye on it is relationship building and uh, cultivating community relationships in yeah. particular. I knew you you would reinforce that as you have done very well. In fact, I'm, I, I, I want to unpack that further. Your journey, uh, which has not always been in mental health, you bring a variety of talents <laughs> and experience, but... <laughs> But before I forget, Kathy, for those listeners that may not be familiar with Mental Health America, tell me, tell them, tell us, what is your organization? What does it do? So Mental Health America of Central Carolinas is, uh, we serve both Mecklenburg and Cabarrus counties. And up until recently, um, we did not provide direct services, but we're getting ready to do that. Our our work uh, revolves around advocacy, education, and prevention. So uh, we are out there trying to raise awareness in the community about suicide prevention, uh, mental health first aid, uh, so that all of us can have uh, the layperson can have those skills needed to address uh, a mental health, uh, someone in crisis or struggling where they are. Um, I I took mental health first aid and and I never dreamed I would need it, but I was in Starbucks one day, which is my everyday routine coming to work. (laughs) Right. Um, But there was obviously a woman there who was experiencing a great deal of distress. And because of my mental health first aid, I was able to help her and help her sister Uh, get her the help that she needed. Um, This work is all about reducing and eliminating the stigma that continues to surround mental health, which is often a big barrier to people seeking help when they need it. Um, As I mentioned, Parent Voice works with uh, parents and caregivers who may be raising a child with a mental health diagnosis. Um, Our family partners help uh, parents become their child's best advocate. Things like helping a, a family prepare for an IEP meeting at the schools. 
which is an individualized uh, education plan. We have a family partner who works primarily in the court system, juvenile court system, helping those parents who have a child involved in the courts. Uh, we have a program called Compeer, which I love. It's it's like Big Brothers Big Sisters, but it matches an adult who's living with a mental health diagnosis uh, with a friend because we all need a friend, but particularly when you are living with a chronic mental illness, often we're living in loneliness and isolation. Right. I'm so glad you lift up these programs. And by the yep. way, this will be more reason for our listeners to check out the show notes because we can link some of these programs, which as you experience yourself have very practical and real uh, benefits. And I guess for listeners, Kathy, outside of our North Carolina and Charlotte region, you're part of a national network. Is that correct? And these resources may be available in other communities, of course. Yes, yes. We are an affiliate of Mental Health America National. Um, we do have resources on our website that anybody could uh, benefit from, particularly our screening tools. Um, but they could also reach out to um, mental health American National at their website, and and hopefully there's an MHA in in your community wherever you're listening from that can help help you navigate uh, this system. Because the one thing I've learned in, since I've been here, mental health is very a very complex, often fragmented uh, system to navigate. Yeah, and as you said, it's already a, a difficult enough of an issue uh, at so many levels. The right. stigma. The, the personal nature, uh, the challenge, and then you have a bureaucracy in some cases, right, that surrounds it, makes it even harder oh, to navigate. Very much so. Um, systemic advocacy is a part of our work as well. Yeah. I'm trying to work on this local, state, and even the federal level in trying to address some of the barriers that individuals face trying to get, get the help that they need. All right. Well, let me back up then a minute, Kathy. Why did you get into this work? Uh, and, and what what on your journey? Uh, of course, you had an impressive journey before five years ago or so when you took this job. But I'm curious. Yeah. What inspired you to take the role you're in now? So, well, I, I knew I wanted to be in Charlotte and began looking at, at various opportunities. I, and I knew I wanted to continue to do nonprofit work. Um, and when I interviewed for the position at MHA, one thing that really impressed me, and I continue to see this, is I, I was connected with uh, several board members, and they're all there for the same reason. They have a passion around this work, so they're not just there uh, getting their hours in as a board member. They truly are committed to um the passion around uh, helping people get the help that they need. And very often, both on our staff side and our board side, uh, they have some sort of lived experience. Either, either they're living with a mental health diagnosis or they're, they have a family member who has struggled, or unfortunately, some have lost someone to suicide and they want to give back. They want to help uh, make sure uh, no one else loses a loved one in that way. So that's really what attracted me most to this work is just the passion that people have. And and as a nonprofit leader, if you can't connect 
uh, with the mission of your organization or feel that passion, then it's going to be a very difficult road uh, ahead uh, for you because this is hard work. Right. <laughs> I will, I will <laughs> no, say I... that I've been doing it for 20 plus years and it, it is hard work and you've got to have a passion for the work that you're doing. Yeah, so well put. And and again, speaking of mental health, because it it, it is hard, and and I know you see it particularly exacerbated by a pandemic that intensified, yeah. you know, the work of so many on the front lines and organizations like yours. I I wonder, Kathy, did any of your previous experiences help in particular in, in building your leadership resume, if you will, or or experiences or skills that helped you be effective in the role you do now? Oh, definitely. Um, when we talk about partnerships, for 12 years, I was a United Way director in Virginia. And um, this was in a small town, but I, I'm very proud of what we did while I was there. We created an early childhood initiative. We we created a nonprofit capacity building initiative. Uh, we created a program that was focused on helping uh, pull people out of poverty um, and created a faith-based crisis center while I was there. And, and all of that involves pulling people together, uh, creating relationships and partnerships. And um, it is very difficult. It, it, some people say it's easier to go it alone, and it is easier, but it's not as effective. So when you first get into a room with a coalition of people who are doing work, you've got to begin to help people have a shared vision of what you're trying to do. We're not trying to take away revenue from you or what you're doing, but we want to find a way that what you're doing can connect with this, what this group is doing over here. How can we come along to just build up our community and address some of these issues my work at, previous to coming from MHA is all about seeing that no problem can be addressed by just one person, one organization. Um, we have to find ways to work together. And with mental health, you know, MHA does a lot of great work, but we're there are so many in this community that, that are doing good work around this issue. So my years of as a nonprofit leader have taught me this that we all are in this together and and we all need to um be focused on lifting everyone up because that makes us all stronger yeah that's so well put and and well we'll get into that even more because again you've navigated the the nuances of these partnerships and and kind of bringing that spirit of collaboration um but let me ask you specifically, have have you seen awareness around issues of mental health improve? And is I, I guess the again, pandemic, I think, has elevated the issue, but do you see progress? I I do see progress around people being more aware about mental health. I think within our younger population, there may be less stigma and more willingness to talk about it. And as you're right, the pandemic really shed a light on particularly marginalized populations, the African-American community, uh, Latinx community. It just uh, 
shed a spotlight on things that we already knew were there around disparities in access to help and and, and services. And but that being said, we're also seeing really a lot of um, troubling trends around youth mental health. Um, I know we all have read about the suicides at at NC State and and other universities and and within our own high schools and middle schools even we're seeing more and more young people struggling with their mental health screening for suicidal ideation and unfortunately um even completing suicide so we really do have still have a lot of work to do um to address these uh, these areas where people are struggling we're also seeing as people are coming back out of the pandemic and moving into whatever this new workplace is going to look like, we're seeing uh, workplaces, employers reaching out to us more and more to do um, workplace mental health, self-care, and that's causing us to look at the different programs that we provide and how can we pivot a little bit or add new tools to our toolbox to meet the demand that our workplaces are are finding. Um, because again, we want to align ourselves. We want to align our programs where the needs are rising within our community. Well, it strikes me as maybe that's one piece of advice you'd offer for, uh, again, nonprofit leaders, regardless of the sector in which they work, they could bring in uh, organizations like yours. Uh, in other words, do you want you just want to create more conversation in in yes, our yes. in our staff meetings, our board meetings, yep. even? I guess that would help, right? Yes, definitely. And we do something called coffee and conversation. We actually had one yesterday where we we do these uh, conversations. Number one, to normalize the conversation around mental health, but also we bring in our volunteer storytellers so that whoever attends can hear and see someone that looks just like them, who's in recovery, who's living a good life, who who can now share their story. Um, we do these within the, um, we'll do these with different employers. We'll do, we have done them with nonprofits. Um, and we also provide QPR training for different employers and nonprofits. Um, we can do it virtually or in person. So that is one thing that's come out of the pandemic. We've been able to shift and and find new ways to bring services to the community. Yeah, it's a wonderful example. And again, as you reminded us that uh, there are likely uh, equivalent counterparts to MHA here in Central Carolinas in other communities. So take advantage of these resources, uh, certainly at least virtually uh, what's on the web. But there are good right. people like you and all of these uh, affiliate chapters that maybe could be available. And I, I, again, is there a particular challenge that still remains? I guess, as you said, there's progress, but there are still challenges among the among them, the bureaucracy of navigating the system. Or is there another significant challenge you would lift up? Well, I, I think capacity continues to be an issue. Um, we we think about um, going to the emergency room, you know, for a broken arm or something and you're in and out. We have young people and adults who go to the emergency room with a behavioral health issue who aren't there for hours or days. Sometimes they can be there for weeks and months. Wow. Trying to get 
the help that they need. And, and it's not a criticism of this, of the emergency room is the a capacity issue. And we know it's frustrating when we try to get help for people. And there's so many clinicians and therapists who have waiting lists who are, you know, they just can't take anymore. Um, so we need more uh, clinicians and therapists. We need more school-based mental health. In North Carolina, um, we rank pretty low on the number of school psychologists and counselors um, compared to what the ratio should be. I right, think it, right. it's supposed to be one psychologist to 500 students. Ours are maybe one to two, 15 to 2,000. I mean, it's just really a capacity issue in a lot of different areas. Well, great point. And again, we all need to be advocates regardless of where we work as listeners, what are, are some of the capacity issues in our communities? Because I'm guessing we're not alone in here in Charlotte, oh, North no. Carolina. No, we're uh, not. <laughs> everybody's and not just in North us. Carolina either. Right, I mean, right. It's a, it's a nationwide um, issue. Well, in, in something else, Kathy, I admire what you've done. And, and of course, you're encouraging all of us to, to bring these conversations into our offices and make them a, hopefully a more comfortable conversation yet in creating a culture of communication in fact you were so intentional about culture you created a workplace culture committee and i'm fascinated by that as a tactical activity so all right so a nonprofit leader listening what why did you do it and what exactly mm -hmm. is a workplace culture committee so I think we're all living in a kind of a new world where people have a lot of career choices. You know, they have, um, and we want to keep the the great people that we have. And so we found that we were doing a lot of things right, but we also had a lot of room for improvement, um, especially when it came to having difficult conversations around race and racism. And so out of a series of listening sessions, uh, we decided to put together this team of highly experienced and skilled professionals who are volunteering their time to help us look at structural issues we have within our organization, some things that they're doing, is including looking at our policies and procedures. Do they reflect an organization that values diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging uh, looking at our compensation philosophy and other issues through this lens as well. Um, so that's really was the the um, impetus for creating this workplace culture committee. This was not non-staff or a, a combination of, of staff and outside the organization? What was the composition, the, I guess? The four main members of the committee are, are two board members and two HR professionals at other companies, as well as um, myself and HR. Nice. Mm -hmm. How long did this process take or what mechanically, how did it work? So, you know, as a nonprofit leader and anybody else listening out there, you can you can get some board members that are superstars. And we have one in Joe Machicote, who's with Premier Health and is their um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging officer. And he has such a heart for service and and 
helping. And so Joe really has helped us move this uh, committee forward and uh, really respect. I see him as a mentor for me as as I'm as a leader looking at at this work that we're doing and and um, so grateful to have someone like that leading us because we didn't have someone on staff with this type of expertise and experience. Right. Are there examples, Kathy, of, of outcomes of this process? In other words, did you change things in terms of how so they're, you they're still doing their work? Um, <laughs> right. We just they just started a few several months ago, but it's slow going. Um, we hope at the end of this process to have our all of our policies and procedures reviewed and a new employee handbook really having a clear compensation philosophy and a compensation study complete. Um, we may find that, you know, we're doing a great job with our compensation, but but we don't know that because we haven't looked at that in a while. So we want to make sure we are, if we can't get people where they need to be today, at least we know where we need to go. Um, and out of this um group we we have also now are creating a DIB action committee it sounds like we've got tons of committees but this <laughs> one actually will bring in staff and board working together so this is sort of the next step of this work so that the staff can also have some input into where we need to go well, I applaud it because you and I both know there's so many of our colleagues dealing with uh, turnover, right? In, in the nonprofit yes. sector, it is mm-hmm. acute. Um, and so instead of just kind of lamenting that challenge, you brought in outside experts. And again, many of our listeners you know, may well have board members or other experts in their communities that could yeah. help. Uh, you gave them something to do. Compensation certainly is among the key issues I know that our sector wrestles with. Yes. But I'm guessing you'll also find things, Kathy, about... I guess flexibility of work schedule, or will, will this committee oh, yes, get into that? Yes, definitely. And we've tried to provide those some of those intangibles to yeah, our staff. Yeah. You know, as we come back to work, we are allowing our our employees to work remotely or come into the office when they need to. But I would also encourage um, any nonprofit leader to also find ways to connect with their people. Um, we at least come together one one day a month and try to have lunch together, you know, do some activities together, have our staff meeting together. Um, so that and then every Wednesday morning we do a staff check in, which is something that we started during the pandemic. And it's just a quick 30 minutes. I don't always lead it. Sometimes yeah. another employee um will lead the staff check-in, even bringing in some self-care tips or or other things that we can be doing. But it's just a way for us to make sure everybody's doing okay. It's hard on Zoom, but at least it's a way to connect once a week and um, and ensure that we're seeing each other, that we're talking to each other. And then it takes time, but and I haven't been as good about this recently, but I let my staff know I want to do those skip level meetings too, you know, where we're not just talking one-on-one with our leadership team, that we're reaching out to those below them to have conversations. Yeah, that's uh, a fantastic principle to reinforce. And and again, 
I, you mentioned, of course, the, the love-hate relationship sometimes we have with technology, right? That mm-hmm. technology yeah. allows for access. And I guess I want to ask you, yeah, your opinion coming out of the pandemic that uh, you were able to utilize technology for some of your services, which I suppose is a good thing. But are you also still dealing with the isolation of people kind of only connecting by Zoom or something like that? To, to some extent, I think that we all need to embrace what worked during the pandemic, but also, you know, try to get back to some sense of connection. Um, we were able to very quickly go to a virtual um, environment for our trainings. So right. we you know, the pandemic, I think it was March, we went into lockdown, lockdown by April, our education team was already um, doing virtual QPR trainings. We were ready to jump on and do mental health first aid, but we had to um, wait for the National uh, Council to um, uh, convert their curriculum to a virtual platform. We also try to do uh, our support groups online, but this is harder. I think the thing we've struggled with most is with youth engagement and trying, and as you've read, everybody has read how youth have struggled. You know, once you're on Zoom doing school all day long, you don't want to hop on a another platform. Even more. <laughs> you all know, right. you just want to, we're all tired by the end of the day. So um we we have used technology. We created a cloud-based um, phone system so that it didn't matter where you're working. People still think, you know, they're calling you at your office. Um, so that was something that we did early on as well, knowing that people are going to continue to work either from home or sometimes in the office. But um, making sure that all of our staff have the tools that they need to effectively operate wherever they are. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. well, it, it, every organization in a pandemic, uh, I guess, realized the strengths and weaknesses of their website, right? Because that was That's the portal right. yes. <laughs> that everybody was scouting yeah. us through. Uh-huh. Uh, talk about that. You You did a pretty dramatic transformation. Was it kind of pandemic induced or why did you do it and kind of what did you do to reshape it, your website? It wasn't um, pandemic induced, but I'm glad that we were able to do it um, because of people more and more looking for resources online. Um, we were fortunate enough, we applied for a hometown grant through Vanguard to redo our website. Number one, it was, it was sort of outdated, but also very difficult to navigate, and mental health is already hard to navigate. So our number one goal was to um, improve navigation. Uh, so one thing that we created, uh, which I love, are these emotional toolboxes for building resilient communities. If you scroll down on our homepage, there's they're there, but it's in a drop-down menu. There's an emotional toolbox for LGBTQ. There is one for Latinx community. There's one for parents and caregivers. There's one for communities of color. There is one for employers. Um, but the intention was that you go to one place and you're quickly taken to a page on our website that shows you all the resources that we have 
particular to who you are and what you're looking for. Uh, so that was, to me, a tremendous improvement um, for navigating the site. It's in WordPress, which is much easier for us right, to right. make changes. Um, so it came, I think we finished it up during the pandemic, but it wasn't, um, it was something we had on our radar before the pandemic. Yeah, good. So it wasn't just kind of, you had to were forced into it suddenly. You already That's had right. that as a strategic yeah. objective. And how long did it take again, Kathy, just mechanically did, was it a committee effort? And then how well, long it did was that a committee work? effort? Um, our board president, John Cheek, who's amazing as well. He got involved in helping us with it. We had a volunteer um, student who um, went through and helped us, you know, uh, update our language Um and it, it took probably took about a year to finish this um, project. Wow. But you feel good about it now, obviously. Definitely. And, yes, I'm, I'm very pleased. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the toolbox concept, I think, is particularly impressive because mm -hmm. it shows you you're looking at it through the lens of those you're trying to serve. Right. Instead of it, just, you know, shouting all of your accolades as an organization, you're, you're being responsive exactly. to the people you want to help. And and one thing I will say uh, about MHA is we have so many different programs that it's hard to have that elevator speech. Um, so the Emotional Toolbox has become a way that we package our work um, so that even um, when we're writing grants, we're kind of packaging our programming under this Emotional Toolbox umbrella so that funders can see that you know, all of these things kind of help build um, stronger families, stronger individuals, um, stronger organizations, um, be because it's just it was just a way to encapsulate what we do into a more um, user friendly way of looking at it, I guess. So okay. I was going to ask you exactly yeah. that, given the challenge of fundraising around what is a complex uh, and and sometimes difficult concept, right? Uh, and, right? And programming, but how would you describe you know, kind of the fundraising for an organization like MHA? Oh, well, it's hard, <laughs> just like um, <laughs> just like any. Um, you know, we try. We are getting a lot of government funding. We do try to have diverse revenue streams, but you know, one thing that has come out of the pandemic is a lot of government funding. So we need to make sure that we're, you know, looking at it. And, um, you know, we the first thing we did was apply for a PPP loan, um, which a lot of nonprofits took advantage of that, which helped us to keep, you know, keep our staff, to keep our organization running without losing anything. Um, so, you know, we always, it we always need to have an eye toward diverse revenue streams, but also, you know, not turning a blind eye to those opportunities that are out there. Um, one thing that I always stress is don't chase the money, though. We don't right. want to veer off of our mission. Um, you know, we, we've had just recently someone reach out to us to think about applying for some funding. And we we decided not to because we didn't think, number one, we were ready to work with this particular population. And, and from a capacity standpoint, we probably wouldn't be able to serve that funder as we needed to. So 
makes total sense. And I was going to ask you about, because again, as evidenced by our whole conversation, you've been very partner oriented. You, you enjoy working together, but yeah. How do you approach that Kathy? Cause I guess like any nonprofit leader, you could go in a dozen different directions. So what has been the strategic process to, I guess, identify partners and then decide which ones and how to, to work with them? It all has to go to, back to being strategic and and thinking where, about where we want to go and also what we're seeing in the community and then having a conversation with internally and with our board, does this make sense, you know, for us? Um, one thing, if it's okay, I'll talk about a big um, project that we're getting ready to open. Sure. That that kind of came organically. <laughs> um, you know, I was sitting in my office in a in a suite of offices that we own by myself for about two years because quite frankly, I don't like working from home. I'd rather be in the office. <laughs> you needed but also the office. someone needed to be coming into the office. You know, mail still comes, bills still donations come in, uh, bills still need to be paid, reports need to be done. Um, but kind of really thinking about this hard asset that we had that we weren't using. And um, we pulled together a group of from Johnson C. Smith University, UNCC, some mental health professionals to talk about the possibility of creating a free counseling center in that space. So we had the conversation first, but then the American Rescue Plan funds became available through the county. And we thought this is a wonderful opportunity to at least try to get the funding to make this happen. And again, going back to our relationship with the county, we were so pleased with how much they invested, not only in MHA, but in behavioral health overall through this funding. And through this, we will, in January, be opening a free counseling center with that space totally uh, reimagined, renovated. And it's a to me, it's a very uh, unique concept. We are using um, Johnson C. Smith University and UNCC students who are working on their uh, MSW or Master's in Counseling as our counselors, uh, we were able to hire a full-time clinical director with this funding, um, and she will oversee the clinical supervision for these interns. So we will open sometime in January and begin to serve um, those who can't afford to pay for counseling. So our goals with this project were not only to serve marginalized communities, um, but also to increase the pipeline of clinicians of color by partnering with UNCC and Johnson C. Smith to kind of help these uh, budding therapists, future therapists, um, get the clinical hours uh, that they need to be successful. Such a, a fantastic story on several levels, right? And of course, as you said, capacity is an issue already in the mental health world. And right. so you're, you're increasing capacity. You're increasing capacity of of experts of color, yes. um, and and I'm mm -hmm. guessing those populations again generally 
have been underserved, right? That's, so you're, that you're exactly right. So we hope to to serve communities of color. We're also, as part of this grant, we applied for some funding to do a um, marketing campaign, which we'll launch also in January. Uh, you'll begin to see billboards um, with people of color talking about my mental health matters and so does yours is the theme of this. Nice, nice. So uh, again, trying to eliminate stigma and raise awareness in these communities about how important it is for you to take care of your mental health to get help when you need it. Well, Kathy, it's fantastic. As I knew, this conversation would lead to great examples uh, and in a very important space and need for every community, certainly here in Charlotte, North Carolina. You have evidenced that. For you, back to you personally on your leadership journey, has there been any uh, particularly helpful resources for you, uh, knowing you as a lifelong learner and someone mm -hmm. who's always trying to get better? How do you approach leadership development as an executive director? So, you know, I grew up in the military. My father was in the Air Force. And I always uh, think about how my mom always talks about how close the families were, especially other military wives, because they're all in this together. They're all going through the same thing. Right. And I sort of um, think that's sort of a metaphor for how we are as nonprofit leaders. Um, it can be a bit lonely at the top sometimes. And right. So right. I think leaning on other leaders for help has been the most helpful for me. Um and I always try in turn to do the same with other nonprofit leaders. Maybe it's somebody who's new to this nonprofit space. Um, uh, you know, they may have been working in the corporate world for a, for a long time, or it's a young leader. But I think when I think about my own help along the way, it's been being able to have that connection with other nonprofit leaders and being fairly new to Charlotte. Um, that's where I've made the most meaningful connections as well in this community. Well, you have indeed done that. And you've anticipated my kind of last question, you know, for somebody listening, thinking about nonprofit leadership, uh, maybe jumping into this world. You said it earlier very well, you know, don't be fooled. This is hard work, right? Mm -hmm. So don't, yes. don't come in here thinking it's all feel good and it's going to be easy. But is there any other advice, Kathy, you'd offer to someone who's in that kind of frame of mind thinking about nonprofit leadership? Well, you know, I started out in corporate work, you know, doing investor relations and corporate communications. And um, and I think it, it's kind of a calling in a way that I had done that for a long time. But when this job at the United Way where I had volunteered came open, it just felt so right and felt like a good move for me. And I've never looked back or regretted that. So you can make a good living being a nonprofit leader, but it's not where you're going to get rich. You get rich in the in the work that you're doing and the relationships that you're building and the the change that you see in people's lives and in your community. Um, that's where you'll really feel the richness around this work. Um, so, I, you know, I recommend it, but you're right. It is hard work. Yeah. Don't be. It is. It is. It, it, a nonprofit leader 
wears many, many hats and, and has to be willing to do that. Well, I, uh, again, appreciate, as I know our listeners do, the authentic kind of representation you have of nonprofit leadership, the great work you've done. And so, again, I'm going to encourage our listeners to check out the show notes and learn more about you and um, and the great work you're doing through MHA. But, of course, before I let you go, I do have, as you know, a a parting gift, if you would. What about a book that's been meaningful to you that maybe is uh, helping you right now? Right. You know, I go back to the work that we're doing with our Workplace Culture Committee, and I'm reading right now Radical Candor. And, you know, the subtitle is Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. (laughs) So So how's that going um, so far? So far, so good? (laughs) Yes, yes. And it really is about having meaningful conversations with the people in in your organization without, again, losing your humanity and being being kind, but being able to, you know, have direct conversations, which I think, you know, I struggle with sometimes. And so um, it's been very good and offers a, it's packed with a lot of, a lot of um, information. So I would recommend it to anyone, especially a nonprofit leader who has employees who, you know, they're working with and giving feedback to, um, so that that's my recommendation, Patton. Love it. Grateful for the advice that that represents and for the book itself. Yep. And as always, we will feature it on the show notes, the web article related to this episode. And Kathy, of course, what we will also put into the show notes, how to get a hold of you and the, the great work you're doing. But any recommendations? Where would you like people to go to find out more? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn, Kathy Rogers. I don't know what my tag is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll 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 link it directly. Uh, we'll help them find it. Yeah, and um, and you know, visit our website. One thing that I do every month, which I love, it's sort of a creative outlet for me. Is I write a blog, and it's always on the website, but I also post it on LinkedIn as well. And it's it's a way for me to. I love writing and that creative outlet. So um, check that out as well. You count on it. Uh, Again, I'm delighted to lift up your voice in an important space on important topics. We will link to your LinkedIn and to your website. And Kathy, once again, thank you for joining me on the path. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. And I've really enjoyed it. And I hope your listeners find some kernel of useful information in this episode. I'm sure they will. Thanks, Kathy. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kathy as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your leadership journey. And let's face it, we owe it to ourselves and our organizations to learn as much as we can about mental health. And I hope you will take advantage of that opportunity as well. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode. It's on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about Kathy, the wonderful resources MHA provides, and also the content Kathy herself is producing that's very relevant to you as a nonprofit leader. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. 
And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just go to the podcast page at patentmcdowell.com, and you'll see the follow button, which will, in fact, allow you to not miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And, of course, if you like this episode, click on the Episodes button on the top of that same page, and you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes or search by topic or guest name. Thanks, as always, for all you are doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.